Welcome to the Open Adoption Project. We're the Nelsons. I'm Sean, and in today's episode, my wife Lynette will interview Tamara, who is a birth mother. I think that you're really going to enjoy this episode. Tamara is such a unique and just awesome individual. Tamara placed her son Justin for adoption about 20 years ago in the era when closed adoptions were coming to an end and open adoptions were starting to become a thing. In today's episode, she'll share her story along with some advice for expected parents and others involved in the adoption triad. Tamara is a minimalist and she is nomadic. Uh, She lives in a converted short bus and has really been nomadic for about the last six years. She has worked extensively in wilderness therapy, helping young adults and adolescents that are in crisis. And she has been on four survival type TV shows. So awesome, really unique, really just genuine person who opens up and shares so much from her heart. And I think that all members of the adoption triad will really benefit from what she has to share with us in this episode. In the beginning of the episode, the audio is just a little rough. Uh, There was a poor connection, but it does get a lot better just a few minutes in. So we hope you enjoy this episode with Tamara. We are now on with Tamara. Welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for being here with us. To start off, we're hoping that you can share your adoption story. So for me, telling my adoption story is like a four-hour affair, but I'll try to uh, I'll try to make it a little bit more concise. So uh, the the basic timeline: um, I was 17 years old uh, when I got pregnant. And um, I was 18 when I placed my son for adoption. Uh, from about, through most of my pregnancy, I was uh, not uh, on board with the with the option of adoption. I got engaged initially, and then kind of was trying to figure out how to single parent. And through some pretty dramatic divine intervention, um, came to the answer uh, that I had to place my child for adoption. And then through more miraculous divine intervention uh, was led to a particular family. And, um, and so I placed him for adoption uh, in May of 1996. And at the time, most adoptions were closed. We were just starting to evolve. Um, We were just like, it was right around the corner. And, um, and there were certain things about our arrangement that felt really progressive at the time and felt really liberal at the time. Um, but in hindsight, it, the, from the perspective I have now, it looks out like it looks barbaric to me, you know. But at the time, I was like, wow, I get to meet them one time, you know, like I get to send a letter every year. So, um, so I was, you know, obviously able to select the family and I was able to meet them once before I gave birth. And then um, we had limited correspondence that kind of weaned off um, throughout the first year. And then, it, and then like once a year through age five and then total drop off of correspondence which is awful. And, um, but then uh, within a week of his 17th birthday through a series of miracles, um, we came in contact with each other um, again. And so we've been in reunion for eight years. What were your initial thoughts and feelings as you were considering adoption for your son? You said that you weren't really on board at first. So can you just share how that kind of happened? My initial thoughts about adoption were absolute terror and anguish (laughs) and um that's appropriate (laughs) um i just thought uh well first of all just logically i thought well no that's an option for people who would make bad parents and who are bad people that's i thought but that's not me and but also then emotionally i'm like but that would kill me also so who wants to do that you know who wants to be separated from the flesh of their flesh and the bone of their bone not me um and so i really was just doing this like um this hustle to try and make it not the right answer you know and to make any other answer the right answer and uh and that was not wasted energy that was not wasted effort like uh once i discovered i was pregnant i was determined to get myself right um unfortunately up until that time it didn't really matter if i was if i was okay or not um 
I did, I just didn't have, I just didn't hold much value for myself. And so my choices didn't matter because they really just affected me. Um, but once I was pregnant, it mattered, like it mattered more than anything ever had. And it was the drive and the motivation that I had lacked, um, to make changes or to make better choices or to, you know, to live more congruent with, uh, with what I felt was right. And so, um, the effort started immediately, you know, of kind of this transformation and growth and, uh, and it, it only got so far, um, it was a spiritual journey for sure. I knew that I was in over my head. I knew that I was good at making poor choices <laughs> and that was no longer acceptable. That was, uh, you know, when it was only me who would be affected, um, that was one thing, but now it wasn't okay to mess this up. I had to get an answer and I knew that I had limited experience, limited wisdom, um, limited perspective. I don't know the future. Um, I don't know what's behind door number one, door number two, door number three. If I choose adoption, like, you know, will the family be perfect or will they be, will they misrepresent and be horrible or will something tragic happen? Or if I, you know, um, if I place for adoption, you know, like what if I meet the man in my dream six months later, you know, all these, all these factors, all these unknowns. So I knew I needed to petition to uh, a source of more information and wisdom than I had access to. And so I went to the foundation of faith that I'd always had, though it had been neglected for a long time. And in this process, I was definitely asking for quote an answer. I was asking God for direction, but in this process, it was a lot of begging, begging and bargaining. It was a lot of like, um, I'll do like, tell me what to do, but here's what it should be. <laughs> and let me tell you why. And so like, I'm explaining to God, like, did you consider this though? You know, and like really just pleading my case, um, which you don't like what I discovered is answers don't really come that way when I'm like trying to give the answer to God. Um, and so God's like, okay, well, it looks like you got it figured out, you know? Um, and, uh, one day kind of just in frustration, having not received the quote answer, um, I was just talking to God and I got, I, I threw a little bit of a temper tantrum. I was like, yo, I'm on a timeline here. Like I need I need, and I knew I needed that peace of mind, you know, that I couldn't produce within myself and, uh, and it wasn't coming and I was frustrated and I'm like, I'm doing everything. Like I'm doing all the right things. Like what more, you know, what more is it going to take? And probably the clearest spiritual communication I've ever received in my life came to me. Uh, while I'm in that conversation with God and it said, um, Tamara, surrender your will. Like, um, and I could see at that moment that I hadn't, and I thought I was being really flexible and open-minded because I was willing to do any of the things besides placing for adoption, you know, to get married or to be a single parent. Um, but I realized that, uh, to say, you know, I'll do whatever you tell me to do as long as it's not that that's not the system. Like it doesn't work that way. And, uh, I, so when the equation became nothing, but what is best for my son, the answer was immediately clear to me when I eliminated myself from the equation, which is extremely difficult to do, particularly in the adolescent brain. But when I subtracted Tamara, you know, the math was easy. The math was clear. Um, and so, you know, at that point I surrendered what happens to me. And the, my belief at the time was, well, you know, he'll have a family. They'll have the child they've prayed for and I'll be left by the wayside and I'll never be okay. I'll never be okay again. That's what I thought that answer meant, but there was peace in it somehow because it meant he would have, um, what I couldn't provide which people get really confused about what that means. For me, that was not money or material resources, though. Yes, that as well. Um, but it was maturity experience, um, stability that I lacked. I was coming from a whole lot of stuff that it's taken a whole lot of years, you know, um, to get ahead of. Um, and I could have done it. That's a, that's another misconception. And people be like, you just knew you couldn't do it. And that rubbed me so wrong <laughs> because I could have, and I could have done it better than a lot of people do, frankly. Yeah, um, but it wasn't my thinking. And, and that strong impression that I had was um, that good enough wasn't good enough. 
you know, um, I, I didn't want it to just be okay. And like, just getting by if there was like, if there was that available to him, how could I not, um, how could I not make that available, uh, to him? And so the answer was, it came with such peace and clarity, that feeling of fear and anxiety and anguish that I had every time I thought about adoption really lifted. And I felt just complete confidence for the first time through this whole experience. I felt that reassurance and that confidence. Like, I didn't know what would happen. I didn't know how it would be, but I knew that God had us. And that felt good enough. That felt like enough. And I rested on that and rested in that. And so, um, yeah, so that kind of answers that question. (laughs) So what were the reactions of your friends and family when you told them that you were thinking about adoption? Well, when you're 17 and pregnant, everybody's got the answer. Everybody knows what you should do. Everybody's got advice. And there were definitely people in my world who were like, you're not actually thinking of having this baby. There were definitely people in my life who were like, you're not actually thinking of parenting. Like you, you know, like you have to place this child for adoption. And there were definitely people in my life that were like, don't you dare place this baby for adoption. Um, You know, so there was, you know, people talk a lot about coercion and adoption and it happens from every angle, honestly. And um, I, I take 100% ownership of the choice that I made, but it does not mean that there was that I did not experience coercion. I 100% did, even in the direction that I ended up going. Um, but my decision was not a result of that coercion. Um, so, you know, my my mom was definitely pushing me towards adoption, and which the thing is, I don't know how she hadn't figured out by then that I could not even look at what she was pushing me towards. So I actually relocated. Um, I went and lived with, and I, it was the very end of the era of going away. And I wasn't going away to keep a secret because I've always been a full disclosure, transparent kind of person. I mean, I announced it in Sunday school for crying out loud, but, um, but uh, there was a host family in Atlanta that my caseworker, let me give a little bit of backstory there. So my mom immediately had me in touch with, um, with an agency affiliated with our church. And um, they were nine hours away in Atlanta and I was in Memphis. So um, when, uh, so my mom was in touch with these people. I had talked to this caseworker, you know, but like they, they came to town and met me at the church and they showed me this video. And there was this horrific image in this promotion video, promoting the option of adoption, this image that haunts me to this day of this girl being wheeled down the hospital corridor corridor with her arms empty and looking back. And I wept for hours after I watched that. I wept for hours and I was like, no, never, like never. And um, anyway, so then I got engaged, which was really a way to just defer consequences, which is what the adolescent brain really likes to do. Like I'm, you know, answering the question of my child needs a father. I'll just get married to this dude. Um, And so my mom said, okay, well, you need to let that caseworker know. And so I'm like, fine. So I called the caseworker and I said, Hey, just so you know, like I didn't, I like, I've made my decision. I won't be requiring your services. Thanks, but no thanks. And she said, um, okay, well, Tamara, um, I have a challenge for you. She said, I have an opportunity for you and a challenge for you. She said, there's a host family in Atlanta that will take you into your home. Um, if you can get away from your boyfriend and from your parents and your family and all the pressures of people who have a stake in it and get some distance, things might look differently. And you might have a little bit of clarity in, in that place away from all the tension and the stress of these relationships. And um, I was like, no, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I, like, I already know the path I'm on. I know what you want me to do. I'm not going to do it, you know. Um, but she said, but don't answer me right now. These are the thoughts I'm thinking. You know, she says, don't answer me right now. She said, um, hang up the phone, go talk to God and ask if you should come to Atlanta and then call me back will you do that? She says. So, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I couldn't come up with a good reason not to. So I said, yes. And I'm a person of my words. So I hung, hung up the phone and I said the cheesiest little prayer of my life, like, dear God, like you want me to go to Atlanta or what, you know? And this answer was not like, I don't even know what it, it wasn't anything. It wasn't anything, but for whatever reason, I called her up and I said, okay, which I still can't explain to this day. Like there was no impression. There was no like, I just (laughs) said, okay. Um, And that was really defining. That made all the difference was exactly what she said, getting the distance from my situation and from all these people who had such high stakes and 
in my, in such investment in my decision and who uh, with the best intentions, perhaps were going about things in a wrong way. And just the coercion was really a, a hindrance to um, me coming to my conclusion, coming to my answer. And then especially getting the distance from my boyfriend. Um, we were in a desperately codependent relationship. I mean, uh, my issues come from, you know, all the, the issues, the main issues from my childhood come from my relationship with my father. And, you know, here was a, a male who wanted me around and, you know, that was too much to say no to, even though I knew the relationship wasn't good. Um, but so when I was in Atlanta, um, the work that I'd been doing on myself started to really take hold and started to kind of exponentially accelerate. Um, but I, in this, at the time we didn't have cell phones. It was like 95, 96 and uh, long distance costed money. And I was a high school dropout at this point and he was in art school and we didn't have the money to talk to each other very often. So our, our conversations were few and far between. And I absolutely like had withdrawals for his attention and for those conversations. But I noticed that, and there was so much space between though, that I noticed um, that on the days that we would talk, that I would regress significantly in all the ground I'd gained. You know, I would be weak. I would be confused. I'd be, um, I would just, I would lose my footing. I would lose ground. And so it didn't take that long for me to recognize like, oh, I've told myself a lie. I've said that this is giving my son the best you know, that, that the best thing I can do for my son is to give him this father and to give him this mother that I would, would have been, you know, with this guy. It's not to say he's a terrible person at all, but it was a terrible relationship. Um, so I broke that off, um, but still was not prepared to really look at the idea of adoption, even though I was giving lip service to it because I knew I was supposed to, you know, um, to look at all my options and to really be open-minded and evaluate everything. Uh, so my boyfriend wanted to get married. My mom wanted me to place for adoption. My father wasn't speaking to me. Um, friends wanted me, some friends wanted me to, to abort. Some friends were like, oh, it's going to be so fun to be a mom, you know, so everything. But when I chose adoption, um, it's, people didn't give a lot of reactions then. Um, the host family I lived with also really wanted me to choose adoption, but it wasn't that same kind of invested pressure that I was getting at home. Um but the, the experiences, the, most of the opinions that have come my way about my choice have come to me since then over the many years of being a birth mom. And, and I was quiet about it for the first like couple or three years. And I just kind of gradually came all the way out of the adoption closet. And now it's something I absolutely wear on my sleeve and it comes up organically. I don't skirt it whatsoever. Um, and so I have gotten a lot of different reactions. Friends and family have been totally supportive, even if initially not really knowing what to do with my grief. Um, but have been supportive of the choice, at least like feel like I, I did the right thing and made the right choice, which is great. Again, it's not why I did it, but it helps. Um, but strangers, on the other hand, you know, have the whole gamut, you know what I mean? Like people who I've encountered have said all of the things, but usually beautiful and supportive things, even if unenlightened. So what was placement like for you? You said it was not very traditional or not what we think of it as now where you place baby in adoptive mom's arms. Yeah. Placement is the hardest part of the story, right? Like for every birth mom. Um, the whole story's hard. <laughs> um, but going back to that place, for a birth mom to go back to that place in her mind is really like, I mean, the thing is, it's heaven to me. Like the time we spent together before placement was like the most divine experience of my life and like the holiest experience of my life. Um and uh, I was sustained with this piece from from outside of myself to sign those papers, the wording of which is so final and so harsh. Um, and then somehow um, was able to dress that baby and kiss him goodbye. And um, unfortunately, at the time, we had not evolved to the point of enlightenment where I was able to put him in his mother's arms, which now I know I should have just insisted that and just like held that signature hostage, you know, um, I really wish I would have, but, um, so we spent uh, two holy days, uh, in that hospital room and it was absolute hallowed ground. It was a temple and I was more myself than I've ever been. I'm like, just more fulfilled than I've ever been. And um, just more joy and peace and love than I'd ever experienced. Like I never knew love until I met him. I was completely like um, completely like juvenile in what I thought love was until I saw his face. <laughs> and so um, 
there was this power that sustained me um, to sign those papers and then um, to dress him and kiss him goodbye and hand him to a couple of strangers. And that's not right. Um, I wish in hindsight, I would have insisted on putting him in his mother's arms. Um, I think it would have been to their benefit as well as to his benefit um, to really just see and feel and experience the sacredness of that transaction. Um, but instead, um, yeah, a couple of dudes I didn't even know. Um, and then just hoping they know how to work the car seat. Right. And then he's gone. Um, and I think I envisioned in my mind, you know, wondering how this would go. Initially, I kind of thought like when I would envision the scene, I thought it was going to be like this weeping and wailing situation, you know, because I was a very theatrical teen. Um, and I think I put that on for a second. Like I kind of tried to like emote really dramatically for a second and it just didn't fit the actual energy in the room or the feeling. And I just kind of like relaxed into like this piece. Um, however, when I left the hospital and went home, um, when I left the hospital and went home, that piece gave way to the natural circumstances, which was I had just lost a child. And for a very long time, I felt like I couldn't breathe. There was at least one time I couldn't walk. My sister had to like carry me down the hallway because the grief was so intense. Um, and, uh, and that's not something that ever goes away. Um, that's not something that, I mean, you don't ever really, you know, people would talk about moving on, getting over it. That's not a thing. <laughs> it's like, that's not a thing. Um, have I experienced healing 100%, but the loss will never cease to be a loss, but like any loss, um, our life starts to fill back with other things. It finds its place in proportionate perspective in our heart. Um, but it, but it has never stopped it's never stopped hurting and it's never stopped being lost. And it's really interesting, like the things that will trigger that grief again. And there have been a few experiences that have brought me back to day one, you know, where I didn't think I could feel it that intensely anymore, but to where I could actually feel the hollow, to where I could actually feel the hollow in my womb. And I could actually feel the aching in my arms. And I could, you know, remember like viscerally and physically the longing um, not often, but, um, but I think that's going to continue to come back like randomly to get triggered throughout my life. And I, I don't mind it. It has a purpose. It plays, it plays a role and it means, it means my heart is still on. <laughs> so, um, so my expectations have shifted. I no longer think I no longer have a timeline or feel frustrated or disappointed or judgment, you know, about the process. I see a lot of wisdom in what my body and my psyche and my heart and my spirit and my mind, um, present me with and invite me to experience. So what advice would you give to expectant parents as they make plans for relinquishment? So many things. Um, well, I can talk about my own regrets, but not everybody feels the same way I do. Um, but I wish that I would have taken the opportunity to nurse him. I wish I would have taken the opportunity to bring him home to meet my family. I wish I would have um, had the confidence and like presence of mind um, and trust in my own judgment to demand place to uh, face-to-face placement. And, um, and I wish that I would have demanded, uh, my information be given to them. Um, it's rather than having this, uh, third party kind of arbitrarily one size fits all play God essentially, you know, and decide for everyone. I wish I would have stood up, um, against that, but I just, I didn't have the perspective. I do that anyway. Um, but that's not relevant to what people are, um, experiencing these days. So I would say, uh, just make sure that the decisions that you're making about to place or not, and about how to go about it are just are decisions that you feel personally convicted of and that you're not handing over any of that autonomy or any of that decision-making, um, to anyone else and trust your intuition, um, that is your stewardship and your assignment and you are qualified for it. Trust your own knowing um, and have the confidence to stand your ground in your own knowing. Um, I would say know that know that you have no frame of reference for the loss that you're about to experience. 
Um, you think you like, I, I was like, okay, it's going to be painful. I understand pain. Um, but this was just a whole different realm <laughs> of pain, um, that I expanded into. Um, and likewise, um, there's nothing that can prepare you for, um, the amount of just love you're going to experience as well. And the bond and connection, um, at least from my experience. Um, and so just be prepared to not be prepared <laughs> emotionally. Um, but also I would say, know that you can, no one should ever make their decision based on fear or a feeling of inadequacy, whatever decision it is. I didn't place for adoption because I felt I couldn't parent. I could, um, no one should, um, not place for adoption because they think they're not strong enough, um, or out of fear and really identify where the fears are and challenge them and confront them and, um, and then and put them in their proper place um, and move forward in courage and faith and in confidence in your own ability because um, the love of a mother is an incredibly empowering um, factor. And there, the doctor uh, who delivered him came and stood in the doorway and observed me holding him and singing to him and just smiling at him. And he, I didn't notice him at first. And then he spoke and he said, you're not going to go through with it. He saw how much I loved this baby and he thought that that would prohibit me from being able to place him. Um, but I knew even in that moment that what he didn't understand was that it was because I loved Justin so much um, that empowered me to do the impossible, to defy my own instinct, to break my own heart. Um, I mean, mothers can lift cars off, of, you know, like lift cars, they'll save their kids. And so um, just have confidence in your own capacity and ability to do whatever um, your intuition leads you to, um, other advice approaching, oh, if you can just have a support system. Um, and particularly I would say, reach out to the, to an adoption community or create one. If it doesn't exist, find one online, preferably in person. Um, and particularly to connect with other birth parents, though be selective because there's all kinds of different viewpoints and, you know, specific like social media groups all seem, seem to kind of become one or the other kind of echo chamber. And so just be mindful, um, that, uh, we can hear one brand of experience and think that's everything and, or another one and think that's everybody's experience and that's the expectation, but really it's incredibly diverse um, and leave space for you to have your own story and your own experience rather than kind of, you know, a lead the witness kind of a thing um, where you're, uh, you're living out your expectations. Um, I would say also um, don't think that you can't survive and thrive. Um, it will always hurt. Um, and it will always be a loss. Uh, as well as breaking you, it can also make you. And um, yeah, I, I, I didn't have contact with other birth moms for like three years after I placed. And when I first, first went to my first support group, uh, it was just, it was like an option I didn't know I had. I saw it modeled in other people post-placement that they were happy. I saw it modeled that they, that they had full lives. And it was like, I didn't even know that was an option until I saw other birth moms doing it. Um, yeah, birth mom community, find other birth moms. Um, that's huge. Uh, I would say talk about it. You know, this is getting more into post-placement advice, but I would say talk about it, write about it. Um, don't put it away. The only way out is through. You have to feel it to heal it. It's not going to go anywhere if you don't address it. And if you don't uh, allow it, um, trust that process and surrender to it. Um, and again, like through sharing it and writing it and inviting people into it, that is really processing as well. So I could go on and on probably to answer that question. But. No, that's really amazing advice. I loved all of that. So we had a listener ask us this question and I feel like you talked about it a little bit earlier, but if you have more thoughts, I know I should probably love to hear more. So she asked, does the pain ever go away from placing? No, no. No, um, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, I don't want to move on. Um, because where there's tremendous pain, there's tremendous love. And for me, it's a good trade. Um, I accept. Um, 
And like I said, it has its own wisdom and it knows what it's doing. And I need to not uh, try to boss my to boss my psyche around or to boss my heart around, but uh, to surrender to to the wisdom that you know that my emotions have. Um, see the purpose in it, but know that it won't kill you. It feels like right after placement and for some time after placement, it feels like you won't survive it. It feels like it's going to kill you. And it feels like it's always going to feel this way. That's, that is the moment. That is the snapshot. That is not forever. Um, you will survive it. Um, you will grow from that moment. What have you struggled with since placement and what do you wish the others knew or understood about those struggles? What have I struggled with post-placement? Jeez, man. Closed adoption. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, that, I mean, like I said, I think, I really think it's barbaric. I think closed adoption is barbaric and not just from the perspective of a birth mom, but like, just imagine the abrupt separation for a brand new human when their familiarity is to this energy and this voice. Um, and then it's completely gone. Imagine how disruptive that is. Um, there is something unnatural about adoption. I 100% still choose my choice. Um, and I advocate, you know, pe- people consider it as one of their many options, just having awareness and a full education. Um, but it's not natural. Um, and, uh, and I think it is traumatic. And I don't fully buy into the idea of the, quote, primal wound. Um, which I know a lot of people have a problem with daring to say something like that because I've just seen so many people have different experiences. I think for some people, it is exactly that classic primal wound scenario, but for so many other people, they really don't identify with that. And we are just so individual. And even I guess as infants, we process differently and experience differently. Um, So I don't think putting that on everyone is necessarily fair. However, I do think it is very likely there is some degree of trauma in that separation. um, And I think it's significantly lessened when there is a gradual um, transference and then a, a continual presence of that first, you know, of that first mother. And I also think, you know, birth is trauma as well. You know, uh, life on the planet is trauma. So I don't think that because it's traumatic, that means it's wrong. Um, but I think it means be careful how you do it, be wise how you do it, be prudent how you do it. Um, what have I struggled with post-placement? I mean, just, it's hard. Just everything about being a birth mom is really hard. Um, You know, certainly uh, more so in the beginning, I struggled with other people not understanding it because that certainly happens. Like I said, more often than not, people are kind, even if they don't understand and they want to understand. Um, But there have obviously been, you know, experiences where people have said um, hurtful, unenlightened things. and, uh, And that was really hard to take initially my skin has gotten a lot thicker. Um, but having something so personal and so sacred to me be misunderstood in the beginning was just like <laughs> unbearable. Uh, reunion has been the hardest thing I've done since placement. And that's kind of a whole other story. Um, and just because placement is hard doesn't mean it wasn't right. And just because reunion is hard doesn't mean it isn't right. I've grown exponentially from both. I mean, they've been the two experiences that have, you know, had the most pain and the most growth, you know, there's gifts, um, in both of those struggles. Um, but the reason that reunion has been so, oh gosh, challenging and painful is that, um, well, uh, so I'll try to briefly give the backstory here. So his, when he was five years old, his mom had a stroke. And she's been cognitively impaired ever since and also had a lot of physical and medical issues. And so he essentially lost his mother. She's she's cognitively like a child. Um, and I think, you know, in his father's process, bless his heart, you know, for going through that. And it really just wasn't what he signed up for. Um, having not been there, the best I can put it together is that he kind of checked out. And so it seems like um, my birth son was kind of left to his own resources and the internet <laughs> like and uh and missed out on a lot of parenting and modeling and training that would have come if his mom had still been there um and uh and I say that without judgment um and with compassion um but with a little bit of frustration <laughs> um but it is what it is and the and the results of that are uh 
an adult who has a lot of unprocessed trauma um, and who doesn't necessarily really know how to be uh, an adult. Um, he's incredibly intelligent, golden hearted person um, and just really struggles <laughs> in the world. And so a lot of depression and tech addiction and um, some isolation, et cetera, a lot of loneliness, things like that. And so uh, for those reasons, just uh, to discover how very different um, his story was than the story I thought I was giving him, um, that has just been a heck of a thing to wrap my head around, not only just because I love this person more than my own life, more than any other person, and he is struggling. Um, and that's just been, and then being his closest confidant through those struggles. Um, so that's, it's a, a lot of, a lot of burden, a lot of emotions to process, but then also processing like, <laughs> this is the life that I gave him. Now I've got anger about that, that I've dealt with over the years and, uh, and hopefully, you know, gained some ground on and I've got some frustration and some confusion, but I think it amazes people that I, I still don't doubt my decision, uh, even though. Um, his story has gone so very differently than what I thought it would be. I mean, I thought that I would, I used to say all the time when I would speak and write for all those years, I would say, I gave him more, I gave him better. And I'll never speak those words again, because I just can't say that with any confidence. Um, but what I do still know is, um, because of the experiences that I had, um, when I chose adoption and when I met his parents, specifically when I met his parents, like that was Second to meeting Justin, second to meeting my son and seeing him for the first time, meeting his parents face to face was the most uh, undeniable spiritual experience of my life. And so I still believe that my choice was right. I still believe I didn't give him necessarily better or more in terms of how we see those things. But what I gave him what, is what was right for him. And I still have peace and confidence in that choice that God put him there. Now I've got some beef with God because I don't have access to the blueprints. And, you know, and I don't have access to that wisdom. Um, but in my better moments, I trust that wisdom. And, um, and I trust uh, that God does have the blueprints. And, you know, my formative years were not ideal either. And they left a mark and they left me with some handicaps that for my entire time on this planet will be my curriculum, you know, that will be, um, you know, burden and obstacle to me that I work through and work on and, and, uh, and gradually, you know, ascend. Um, but in hindsight, those are the things that I've built my mission on. It, it has been my curriculum. And so in hindsight, from the perspective of, you know, this side of all the work I've done, I would not trade in those struggles. And I think he has that same opportunity. You know, uh, he can have those struggles and those injustices transformed and actually be for his benefit and the benefit of others when he is ready. That is an option to him. And it will be uh, that redemption and transformation in my experience is so sweet that it compensates for, the, for, uh, for all the bitterness. So that is the perspective that I believe and cling to. And um, but that has definitely been the biggest struggle for me post-placement is just um, trying to figure out how to be Gosh, not even just a birth mom, but a mother to this person who has so who has such maternal void, you know, um, and has so much space to fill um, in a maternal sense. And trying to figure out, like, it's just so it's so bizarre and unexpected and and so unique. And like, there's not a, a manual for it. And yeah, so just trying to walk that path emotionally and logistically. Um, and yeah wow yeah that's heavy and really beautiful thoughts thank you for being so vulnerable that's really hard yeah um yeah i i take <laughs> like i when i there would be things that would be published or recorded i was hesitant about saying that much typically but he never he never listens to or reads any of this stuff. So, um, and I feel like I'm not being disrespectful because I'm not disclosing his identity or anything like that. So on that note, how has your relationship with Justin and his adoptive family evolved over time? Well, I mean, like I've had to grow um, and things have had to shift. 
and I, and it's just taught me so much and, uh, and really things have shifted so much. Um, I'm like, I'm still more invested in him than anything. He's still the most important thing in my life. Um, but that looks differently than it used to, because the way that it looked initially was not sustainable. Um, you know, if he called me in crisis, I would go into crisis and, um, and in that mode, I am not going to be a good support or um, I'm not going to hold space well. I'm not going to speak wisdom um, if I'm in a state of terror. Um, but it's some pretty scary stuff, you know? Um, and so I totally have grace for myself that that's the, was my experience at the time. Um, but it just isn't sustainable. And I found that I was ineffective in that state. And so um, I have just learned so much more surrender. Like even, gosh, even if my worst nightmare is realized, like I have walked through that in my mind time and time again, when it has been a real prospect. And even if the worst happens, um, I have determined that I will be okay and that I will forgive and that I will be at peace. And I have found the presence of mind and the trust and the surrender to walk him through that scenario as well. Um, which I think has been really beneficial for him. Um, I think initially my calm uh, felt like, you know, and he would say, don't you even care? And I think in his growing up, he kind of learned to see love as people freaking out, people being scared. And that's how he knew that he existed and that he mattered was when people were afraid for him. Um, but uh, over time and me being more calm and expressing love in a different way, um, and being more effective uh, in a state of peace, um, I think he has learned to identify and recognize love in different forms. So, um, yeah, uh, things have shifted and evolved a lot. With, and with his dad, initially, I um, really just tiptoed around everything and cleared everything with him first. And, you know, of course, <laughs> it's crystal clear to me now that he just trusted me 100% was just so overjoyed to have someone else in the game. You know, I mean, I've never seen adoptive parents throw the door wide open like that, you know, and it makes perfect sense to me now that he was just like, we're drowning in here, like, please help. Um, and so I kind of that, you know, got confidence in that. Like, okay, I'm kind of running my own show here with, you know, with Justin and like, I kind of can't do wrong. Um, and uh, it's all going to be better. It's all going to be, you know, improvement. It's all going to be a benefit. Um, and, um, and it's actually come, you know, kind of evolved to where I give him, I give his dad counsel and advice. And like, um, there have been times when he, we've really counseled together, um, for Justin's best interest. And, um, and kind of leaned on each other's insights and experience. And really my experiences, so much of my experiences working with adolescents in crisis over the years have prepared me really well um, for, uh, for this relationship with Justin and, and even with his dad. Um, his mom, she just, gosh, that woman, I just love her. I mean, she, like I said, cognitive, she's, she's like a little, she's like a little kid, but she is love. And there's been twice when she has spoken to me through her broken brain um, right from her heart. And, um, she, she, she told me, thank you for giving him to me. And I said, Debbie, he was yours. And she says, we'll share him in heaven. And it's like, she doesn't, there's not usually that kind of clarity. Like I'm telling you, like, um, anyway, and she's just goodness. And she always was. I mean, when I met her, I just was instantly in love with her and I just instantly was her sister. And I just instantly, and then all those years of missing Justin, like, as, as much as I longed to be with Justin, I was like, let me just sit with my friend. Let me just go to lunch with my friend and like be in her life and have her in mine. Um, and so that reunion was really sweet and really beautiful and really hard with his mom. Um, so, and she just loves me. She just gets, I mean, she loves having me around and she gets so excited and their home is open to me. Like they've been so gracious. Like whenever I'm anywhere near where they live, you know, um, they always ask me to stay more days and, you know, so I'm really grateful for just, and how vulnerable they've been with me to let me into their world and to not hide, you know, the dysfunction and the weaknesses. Like I think so many people would be inclined to do, um, because as burdensome it is, as, as it is, as painful it is, as, as it is, as, um, disappointing as so many aspects of it are like I would 
I would have that any day over going back to not knowing and wondering, you know, and I have influence and I would take that any day over um, not knowing each other. So is there any advice that you would give to adoptees and birth parents, either one who are searching for each other, trying to find reunification? Yeah. So I actually worked for a year in adoption reunification, doing search, doing the search work and kind of helping people navigate, um, you know, the relationship and kind of opening that door. Um, and I, I curated an ebook actually um, comprised of stories from adoptive parents, adoptees and birth parents who had been through um, adoption reunions. Um, and so I actually have a lot to say on that. I mean, obviously I have a lot to say on everything, but um, advice that I would give, I would say, um, okay, I'll, for me, I think I had a premonition for lack of a better word that maybe what I found on the other side of that door might be hard to take because before I had any, before I knew the difficulty that was just around the corner, I had a really intentional, um, determination and mantra that no matter what I found, I would love no matter what. That was my, that was my mantra as I approached adoption reunion, love no matter what. And, uh, when I get off track, I can recenter myself towards that. I can check myself against it. Um, and so I would recommend that be prepared to go in with grace, um, and go in with surrender and go in with acceptance. Now, uh, the majority of people who seek reunion have a positive experience, but I know lots of people who have had incredibly heartbreaking experiences. But I would say that even those folks, most of the time, are glad that they tried because now they know rather than wondering. Um, yeah, I would say be in a place with your own stuff where it's not going to be burdensome to the other party, uh, particularly as a birth mom. As I was approaching reunion, I really just needed Justin to know from the get-go that he did not need to fix me or heal me or fill my wounds or fill my voids. Um, and, uh, and I told him in our very first conversation, this relationship will be what you need it to be. Um, and I, I didn't want to put anything on him. And I've known adoptees who felt put upon or obligated um, by their birth parents. And it, it makes sense because particularly people who closed, you know, even before I did when things were so much darker and like, you weren't even allowed to process, you know, and people were told to keep secrets and hide, you know, it makes all the sense in the world that people have these gaping wounds and they're, and then reunion is like the balm, you know, um, the salve. Um, but just to be really careful to not transfer that, um, to this other person and to, uh, and to make sure, uh, I mean, we can subtly objectify people if we're not careful when we're in pain. Um, so I would say that one for sure. Um, don't expect it to fix anything um, or to or to fix everything, I would say. Uh, and when it does, just be grateful, you know. Um, let's see. Come what may and love it is something that really comes to mind. That was another thing that I just determined that I would have gratitude no matter what I found. I, I was determined that I would be grateful. Before I opened that door, you know, that was the pep talk I'm giving myself. Whatever there is, you will be grateful for it. And I found that we can be grateful, like whatever the circumstances. Um, let's see. I think there's just so much fear on both sides. I've seen a lot of standoffs. There's been so many times when both parties are just waiting for the other party to open the door. <laughs> and so I would say have the courage to make that move because both parties often feel it's not my place. I'll, I'll wait for them. You know, I don't want to put them out. I don't want them to feel uncomfortable. Um, I, like I said, I know people who have experienced rejection um, and that is so, so painful. Um, and I would say, no, that's a possibility on both ends. Um, hope for the best and, and be prepared for the worst. All right. Well, that was great. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? Oh, a thousand things, I'm sure. Like I have, I always have so much to say on this topic. Um, I've been really involved in the adoption community um, for the last 23 years. And so I've seen, I've watched it grow uh, into being a community, which was something that really wasn't there at first and, and uh, a lot of really beautiful things. And I've watched um, 
things shift. And I think we live in a larger culture that is that we really just like to divide and subdivide and subdivide and subdivide. And I've seen a lot of division in the adoption community over differences in people's experiences and perspectives. And uh, that has been something that's really hurt to watch. Um, and part of the reason I think I've withdrawn. Um, let me tell you, the sweetest associations, you know, have been with people who have this, this unique an incredibly personal experience in common with me and not just adoptive parents, but I'm sorry, not just birth parents, but also adoptive parents and adoptees. There's this knowing and there's this, uh, there's this thing that we share. And, um, and when I've been united, particularly in service with people from the other people from the adoption triad, but also just how healing it's been to connect with those people and across, I mean, in, in the beginning, we were so much better at connecting with each other across those lines. Uh, of differences in our experiences. Um, and so I would say, listen without judgment, listen without thinking that, you know, um, and don't think that anyone else's, um, narrative is a commentary on your narrative. It isn't. Um, and someone else's joy is not your pain. Someone else's gain is not your loss. Um, and someone else's loss doesn't take from your gain. Someone's pain doesn't take from your joy. Um, I like my dream is like to see, a, again, a really integrated, diverse, unified, supportive, loving adoption community. Um, because it was magic. It was magic for all of us. Like just added so much sweetness. Um, so, so yeah, I would say for people who are in the adoption world. And also, like I said, when you're doing your research, recognize um, <laughs> recognize that echo chambers exist and make sure you check out all the different echo chambers um, to get a real perspective rather than just landing on one and going, oh, that's what adoption is. So That's beautiful. Such great advice. I've definitely seen some of that divide as well. And that's really well mm -hmm. said. Just trying to be open to listening and hearing all of these mm -hmm. different experiences. I love that so much, but thank you so much, Tamara. You are so wise and I really loved hearing your story. Thank you, Lynette. Thanks for the opportunity. I, I, I love telling my story and I don't get as many opportunities as I used to. Um, so it's good for me. So thank you for that. It was great to connect with you. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciated it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Open Adoption Project. We want to thank Tamara again for sharing her story with us and for really sharing all of the things that she's learned over most of her life as a birth mom. If you're interested in following Tamara on social media, she's on Instagram at RamblinTam, and we will put that in the show notes for today's episode. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.